Fret your silly head not, you won't leave this book discontented. Welcome, mere mortalites, to another round of the Mere Mortals book reviews. I am your host here, Kyron, and we're going to be going over some books, or one book in particular today, and doing a book review. This is the book podcast where I go live, uh, 10 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. I would love for you to join me on the YouTube or even on a modern podcasting app where you can hear me live and get a notification and all those sort of things. Places like Podcast Guru, Fountain, um, Customatic, Podverse and Curocaster, and there's one more I'm forgetting, TrueFans. So I would love for you to join me in of these, like we have one, uh, Paul and Johnny in the chat. Thank you for joining me, fellas, much appreciated. And this is the book review podcast where I typically read older books, uh, classics, if you want to call them that, because I've, I just find they have more value uh, rather than the recent stuff that's that's coming out, which hasn't hasn't stood the test of time. So I go over some of the themes, I go over my initial impressions, overall summaries. I've got some quotes here from the lovely Cole McCormick as a voice actor and the first quotes are a real doozy, you're gonna love it. So enough preamble, what's the book actually on? What are we doing? Well, today we have The Winter of Our Discontent by John Steinbeck. Indeed, it's another Steinbeck book. I'm doing two in a row, just can't keep me away from him. So this one was published in 1961, about 276 pages in length. Probably took me, I'd say, like five hours reading to get through. It's not super, super dense, the the writings on the page and whatnot. So, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's not the biggest of books, um, but it's still certainly bigger than the, uh, the last one, which I did of The Moon Is Down. So, what was my motivation, initial impression? Well, it whetted my appetite when I read that first one of uh, The Moon Is Down. And I was like, all right, I've got another John Steinbeck book here. Let's get into it. He's one of those authors who's becoming a, a real favorite of mine. Back in the, you know, five years ago, I would have said George Orwell was my favorite. I've read basically everything there is to read of him. Thankfully, his bibliography isn't super long. I think he only had like six books and a bunch of uh, personal essays and things. Steinbeck is a bit more of a, a bibliography than than George Orwell, but he's, he's becoming my favorite author, I think. It's still pretty close at this stage. Uh, so, you know, I had, I had to just kind of like read again. I had this available. I can't even remember my initial impression of the book, to be honest, which I think is a good thing because it means I just breezed through it. I, I really was just hooked into the story super, super quickly. So, uh, initial impression, good. <laughs> I can't, can't really add more than that to it. So, let's go on to the plot and style. So, we follow a man named Ethan Hawley in the fictional New Baytown, which is a small port town somewhere in the US, I believe on the East Coast. I'm, I'm not too good on the geography and, and what was happening. Um, basically, he's a, a joker, a jokester and a thinker. And uh, his family has fallen from grace. The holy name used to be associated with like these privateers, these pirates, these people who were, you know, shipmen and, and sailors. And uh, they had this grand house and the, the name was renowned throughout the town. Uh, but they've had a fall from grace over the years, in particular, his father lost the uh, family fortune. And so he's now a grocery clerk. And um, He's kind of content with his life, um, uh, despite the winter of our discontent title. Uh, but his family and his family and his friends and his friends of friends, they're, they're all like, oh, you know, like it's a bit a bit awkward. Like you, you're, you're a grocery clerk and you, your family used to be in such good repute. So he decides, okay, I need to change my status. And he's kind of prompted to do this as, as well. It's not something that he, that he necessarily wants to do. 
But once the ball starts rolling, he he's like, okay, well, I'm going to change my status. Status for him basically equates to money, um, but there is also some prestige and and uh, in the town as well. So uh, he goes about it, and he like when he gets on his path, man, he starts behaving in very uh, ethically dubious manners, uh, and you can so- kind of see his personality change from this kind of silly jokester into a much more serious, uh, ruthless man. I would say. Uh, it was certainly more assertive as well. Star Wars, it, it's a first-person narration, so it's told via Ethan's point of view. So a lot of I, I you know, I saw this, this happened. Um, we had this conversation, this sort of thing. Uh, mostly it's dialogue, but there are these portions where it'll give some descriptions of the town, uh, but mostly dialogue with also a lot of kind of internal thinking. Uh, so he's, he's pondering, he's scheming, he's uh, musing, he's meditating. There's all these sorts of things where you kind of see the internal mechanisms of what's going on within Mr. Ethan Hawley's mind. It's classic Steinbeck style uh, and why he's a favorite of mine. And and so I describe this as like, it's descriptive, but very pithy as well. He gets to the point pretty quickly and he's got all these short anecdotes and we're going to have Cole here read out the first one and uh, prepare yourself for uh, some great voice acting here. What a wonderful thing a woman is. I could admire what they do, even if I don't understand why. While Margie and Mary went through their pleasant litany, what have you done with your hair? I like it. That's your color. You should always wear it. The harmless recognition signals of women. I thought of the most feminine story I ever heard. Two women meet. One cries, what have you done with your hair? It looks like a wig. It is a wig. Well, you'd never know it. Maybe these are deeper responses than we know or have any right to know. (laughs) oh man thank you go amazing i love it so this book i believe was set in around the the 1950s 60s period if i had to guess and uh yeah man <laughs> i it would be so great if they had like the californian <laughs> twang to it the uh the high nasal um yeah awesome thank you Cole. much appreciated <laughs> so i mean like that that's classic i, lo- I love those just short witty you know, humorous anecdotes, but he, it's kind of like couching a, a deeper truth as well. And and you could dive more into these individual things if you want to. This was like just a little one-off bit, but there are other examples in the book where, you know, it's the women doing their own thing and it, the interactions between his wife and especially like his young girl, Ellen, who she has some deeper wisdom. She's, you know, this 13-year-old girl, but she's already like, you can see She's going to be a, like a very, you know, seductive lady when when she grows of age and, and things like this. So you can kind of see there's these small points where you you get like a little touch point. But if you wanted to go, I, you know, I could do the whole book review on just the interactions between him and women and how they are different. But you know, that's that's only a small part of of the the bigger theme that's going on over this, which uh, I guess gets us right onto the big theme itself. So. I suppose here uh, there's a juxtaposition and and it's between what an individual can cope with internally. Ethan seems to be reconciled to his family's decline. He himself is not worrying about it at the start of the book. He's just like, you know, whatever, this is okay. Like I'm working as a grocery store clerk. It's not the happiest, most fun existence, but, you know, everyone likes him. He's kind. He's got good reputation throughout the town. Um they still have the minor trappings, his family of wealth. And so you see this with like an um, 
an elephant foot umbrella stand, uh, like an old creaky house, all of these talismans and fancy hats and cane, like narwhal canes from all these days when they used to be rich. And so there's for him personally, like he doesn't mind all of these things, but I think for his family, his wife, his kids, it's a very much a reminder of, you know, this was all of how it used to be. And the decline was not his fault. It was his father's fault for kind of squandering the family fortune. Yet he suffers um, from not himself internally, but his, his family suffering. His his wife is discontented. His kids are like talking about, you know, when are we going to get rich? Oh, we, we like we don't have a TV and everyone else in the town has a TV or like the other rich people have a TV. They go on holidays and things like this. And uh, this is where, like, he, he's just, like, he's kind, he's faultless. He jokes about how nobody believes the truth. And he rather states his, op- his motives very openly uh, and, and how he's feeling and things like this. Uh, he's silly but serious at the same time. Like, you can kind of see the serious aspect of him when it's just like, oh, okay. Um, this, the internal portion for him, the struggle is not for himself. It's, it's for, for other people around him. This is when, like, the, the, the switch gets flipped and it's like, okay, well, how does he internally uh, go when, he, when he's become somewhat a different person? And this is where he has a very internal struggle because he's, he, when, when he was kind of, like, kind and nice, he was, he was, like, the most ethically sublime human there was to, to be. He was just doing his things. You know, he was helpful to people. Uh, he, he wasn't causing trouble. He wasn't doing anything. But then when it's like, all right, well, if I need to get prestige, I need to get money. How am I going to get money? And he needs to do it kind of quickly as well. Uh, And so he has a little bit of capital of his wife's that he can use, a couple of thousand dollars. Uh, And he he realizes like, I I have all the opportunities ahead of me and it's just about taking them. So we're going to see a little bit of this internal struggling here with uh, Cole's next quote. To most of the world, success is never bad. I remember how, when Hitler moved unchecked and triumphant, many honorable men sought and found virtues in him, and Mussolini made the trains run on time, and Vichy collaborated for the good of France, and whatever else Stalin was, he was strong. Strength and success, they are above morality, above criticism. It seems, then, that it is not what you do, but how you do it and what you call it. Is there a check in men deep in them that stops or punishes? There doesn't seem to be. The only punishment is for failure. In effect, no crime is committed unless a criminal is caught. In the move designed for New Baytown, some men had to get hurt, some even destroyed. But this in no way deterred the movement. I could not call this a struggle with my conscience. Once I perceived the pattern and accepted it, the path was clearly marked and the dangers apparent. What amazed me most was that it seemed to plan itself. One thing grew out of another, and everything fitted together. I watched it grow and only guided it with the lightest touch. Nice, nice. Yeah, I mean, like, this is where we just get into this scene where it's like, oh, okay, all right, he's <laughs> he's somewhat comparing himself to, like, Hitler and Stalin and, um, and Mussolini and uh, and the, the strength of will that's required. Uh, and it's it's kind of funny. I, like, I particularly like that second paragraph there where he's, you know, he, he somewhat chooses determinism to to placate his own mind of like, all right, well, once these things are in motion, you know, I've, I'm kind of like absolved a responsibility or like it's just going to happen. It's, a, it's kind of like a neat little mental trick he does to, to try and 
absolve himself of of these decisions that he is making to to uh, kind of like harm other people to to get himself further forward um and and he never lacked intelligence or opportunity it was always of will did he have the will to take what he wants and you've probably heard this before and like the will to power these these people who are um they get to the top of you know presidents and and places like that by by having a will to power it's it's not just about opportunity or like intellect or being a good person or anything it's like it's like no you need to forcefully choose that i'm going to chase this thing and it's it's really funny because he's he's disgusted by his son for example who has absolutely no qualms and he's just like money gets money money makes money um and we see his son cheat at this kind of essay uh about uh you know how to what was it, it was it was like um you know an ode to america or something like that and it was a co- competition for school kids and he 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 becomes in the top five of everyone in america it's like oh my god wow his his son is uh, so amazing alan well done and then it turns out like he just stole quotes from these books all these old books that they have up in the attic and of you know from thomas jefferson and from all of these other famous americans and he basically just ripped them off straight straight from there um so it's it's kind of cool what i really like about books like this is he tries to do it through his characters he doesn't address the issue head on of like what is the this will is it is it right to um screw over other people to better yourself um and you know he doesn't really try to prove it one way or another i guess you could say like with what happens with his characters at the end it's his way of 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 proving it or saying what is right or wrong um but i think he he succeeds in like the and this being um john steinbeck the author he he succeeds at at creating a conversation in your own mind and seeing okay there's there's trade-offs to this as well it's not like it's it's all good or it's all bad and i'll I'll talk more about that in the um in the extra section about how he creates these real characters so what happens with ethan hawley well he succeeds but but he's rather disgusted with himself and the lives he has to ruin by tipping the scales and this includes like getting people deported who entered illegally he himself actually doesn't do anything illegal but the actions he takes lead to significantly worse outcomes for other people it was probably going to happen anyway and and this is where you could say like oh he just sped up the process so like maybe it was okay but in the end uh we see like okay this is actually really not good for him and his he he got lucky he got he gets lucky twice in the book one is that his initial plan involved him taking a very serious crime and I, i won't spoil what it is but uh, he was going to commit a very serious crime and just through pure luck, he doesn't get do it. And we find out he would have been caught if he had tried to do this, this serious crime. And then the other is like right at the end of the book, he's, he's basically like unable to live with himself because he's, he's essentially hurt two, two very good friends. And he's, he's thinking of like, uh, I might end it all. And then it was just like through pure luck that he, he, he comes to a realization like, no, I still have to live on for some other people. The ending, yeah, it's 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 not as uh, as great as uh, as I think it could be, but um, it was still still pretty good and uh, a good theme to look at it. How the internal struggling that one has is very much dictated by the the circumstances, and and how sometimes you know he chose to do these bad things, but 
he 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 didn't really want to <laughs> and so we can see this battling in his own mind it's uh, it's it's pretty pretty cool I, I was i was quite um quite enjoyed that so let's jump on to the author some extra details things like this like last time he's an american author don't need to talk about him very prolific i'm probably only two-fifths of the way through his whole bibliography and i've read what like five or six of his books now um, this was his last proper novel, and I be, believe much like the previous book, the uh, the title is des- derived from a Shakespeare quote. Actually, "The Winter of Our Discontent," which he says right at the end of the um, of the book, in a in a kind of like quoting to himself or to his family sort of deal. Um, so, yeah, it's it's interesting, and the same from the last book, "The Moon Is Down." It was also taken from a Shakespeare quote. Nothing really. I mean, discontent, I suppose, is one of the themes of the novel, so it kind of makes sense in that respect. What I really like about this book and what about the the characters John Steinbeck's creators, they're real. They're like, they're, these are just real people with a capital R. They're real characters. You know, they 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 feel things. Yeah, it's it's just so, so great to to see a character which has some flesh to them and and uh, and and real settings and real scenarios and things like this. So Ethan, man, he's just so relatable for me. He's educated, but he's not pretentious. Uh, he feels emotions deeply, but he kind of has trouble expressing them and displaying them to other people. Uh, he's got this kind of, you know, estranged relationship with his son and with his with his father, which is just kind of like a generational thing. Um, he's, there's an ability to kind of like believe in pragmatic choices, to to flip his own mindset of like, all right, if this is going, if I'm going to do this, like he, he finds a way to do the things that needs to be done in, in a way. Um, he's not much of a liar as no one really believes him. Um, he's a joker. He's a truthful joker and, and people would just believe what's happening. Um, and he's, he's kind of like, he's also wish, what I wish I could be. The, the character He's serious, but he's this, he, he's so charming. He's so witty. It's it, reading him. I'm like, I'd never be able to be like that. That's so crazy. Um, he, he was a, a soldier and he, he killed men, but he, he wasn't a killer per se. Like he was, used to be in the army, this being. Ethan Hawley, the the character in the book, wit, confidence, you know, or just like some of my worst characteristics or the things I lack in the most, this character has. It's like, just damn, man, I, I, I relate to him so much. And then it's also like, he's got the things that I don't have. That's not to say he's, he's a great character and, and I'd want to live his life, but I, I would want to experience it perhaps. And I can do it vicariously through books like this, which is awesome. So let's jump onto this uh, last quote here, which I think expresses why I, I like him and this kind of internal thinking that he goes through. I wasn't picked for my pretty eyes, but I did make a good officer, a good officer. But if I had really liked command, imposing my will on others and seeing them jump, I might have stayed in the army and I'd have been a colonel by now. But I didn't. I wanted to get it over. They say a good soldier fights a battle, never a war. That's for civilians. Item. Marulo was telling me the truth about business, business being the process of getting money, and Joey Morphy was telling it straight, and Mr. Baker and the drummer, they all told it straight. Why did it revolt me and leave a taste like a spoiled egg? Am I so good or so kind or so just? I don't think so. Am I so proud? Well, there's some of that. Am I lazy, too lazy to be involved? There's an awful lot of inactive kindness, which is nothing but laziness, not wanting any trouble, confusion, or effort. Expresses my thoughts on money pretty well. And also, 
my thoughts on my own laziness and my lack of effort. You know, sometimes I do think, oh, I'm I'm doing this and it's it's not it's it's because I don't want to do it. But is it is it laziness? Is it just is it the you know uh, is it inactive kindness that's happening? Like what's it, what's actually going on? And so he has these insights which I think are really powerful. Uh, but the character himself, he knows himself. So he thinks critically. It's, you know, he looks at himself and goes, like, "Am I doing? Why am I doing these things? Or why am I not doing these things?" And that, I think that's a real character because that certainly goes what 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 goes on in my mind a lot of the time. I, you know, I look at myself. I look at other people. Am I doing what's right? Is is this the right thing to do? Should I be- respond in this way? How how should I behave? The, he just nails it. He just absolutely nails it. And so um, yeah, extra thoughts. Great character, great character in Ethan Hawley. So, so, um, so, so powerful. I loved it. Let's jump onto the summary, similar books, maybe some recommendations. As I said, <laughs> this is probably my second favorite John Steinbeck book because it's just got these realness to it. And I already talked about, you know, the realness of the, the people, the characters, the, the chaotic settings, everything that happens. But I, I think it's the internal, mechanisms and and seeing someone think and relating that to my own thinking style where I go okay yeah this is this there's something to be learned from this um and to be enjoyed from this as well <laughs> you know the 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 ambiguity of Ethan's plan of attack the the way this book just melds certain aspects together hints at things right at the very start which end up coming into the middle and then you, when you think you know what's going to happen it switches again not only is the, their characters great, but the, the way that it's set out and just Steinbeck's writing, his style, the descriptiveness, the pithiness, the, the one-off quotes, which then lead into like a deeper exploration of a topic. It's, it's all fantastic. I really, really love him as an author. Only fault that I could find with this was the ending. I needed to read it over the like three times maybe. And so this is probably, I'd say the last 30 pages we're just a little bit like, oh, okay, what what actually happened there? And then I had to reread it and was like, I think I get it now. So, yeah, that was just my only qualm. Um, evocative, powerful, amazing book. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10, John Steinbeck's The Winter of Our Discontent. I would say it's worth reading. Obviously, you, you know, you can read any of his other works. Uh, we had Johnny in the chat saying um, Sweet Thursday is his third favorite. I would also agree that Sweet Thursday is a, a pretty good exploration of um, a man as well. Um, this being a completely different character, uh, like an older gentleman, no kids, no wife, this sort of thing. But uh, we, you get an exploration to another person's way of, of thinking and thoughts as well. Slightly different because it's not as uh, first person driven as, as, say, this book is. And probably The Grapes of Wrath, I, I would say, if, if you just want a really powerful John Steinbeck work, Grapes of Wrath is is the place to go, place to go. So I'm going to leave it there for today. Thank you everyone for, for joining in. Boostergram Lounge is this section where I just thank some people who have helped to support the show. Uh, the only one I saw today was Dee's Laughs, I believe it was, who sent a message and uh, just trying to see if he said anything in particular. He just said V for V, 123 sats sent using Fountain. So this is the, uh, I've been talking about this for a while of just saying, I'd really love for you to support me via like a, a new method podcasting 2.0 app where you can get all sorts of benefits of uh, seeing chapters and transcripts and, and, and things like that. 
it's not really taken off. That's okay. I get it. It's it's a lot of work. You know, I've got this QR code on the screen as well, which you can uh, scan to to get some satoshis. And you know, if you wanted to send that back, that's amazing. But uh, I've been doing this for a while now, and and I'm not seeing a whole lot of support there. And I understand because I'm doing. You know, I'm focusing probably more on the YouTube video than I am on on the actual audio side of things as well. So I'm just going to say like, uh, just hit us up on the PayPal. There's a PayPal link down below. If you got some enjoyment from this uh, audio, from this video, from this book review, uh, it's really appreciative if, if you help to support the show because it takes a lot of time, energy, effort, doing all of these things, creating the notes together. I do want to make this kind of my full-time gig podcasting and uh, I, I need to be able to do it via the shows and, and uh, yeah, just, just having some of that um, support back is, is really great. Now, there's other ways you can support as well. You can do it, and you know, via value for value. I put all this value up front and you can return it. And value doesn't just mean money. Sharing the show with someone, if you're, you know, joining in live like Johnny, Paul and, and Juan did is really appreciative and giving me something to interact with while I'm doing the quotes and, 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 um, and Cole's reading it out, uh, you know, creating a clip on a podcasting app or even on YouTube or wherever you are. Most places have the clipping functionality, uh, something that could go viral and, and send to other people. This is very much appreciated. Recommendations for books of, of, of things that you think I would enjoy based on what you've, you've heard me talk about here. So, you know, if you like this book a lot and you had other books that you think are similar or that you think explore interesting themes or just general authors you, you would recommend, like you got to let me know this, people. I, I need to to hear about these things so I can create the content that you want to to hear about as well, or, or remind you, or get a different perspective of uh, of a of the same book. So all of those things, uh, you know, tons of links in the show notes. Reach out via any of them. Reach out via the comments on YouTube. Um, very much appreciated. You know, if you want to do the other stuff, like subscribe is uh, is cool. So we're going to leave it there for today. Thank you everyone for joining in. Next book review is probably, um, I don't know how it, I wouldn't have done many like this before. It is Picnic in the Storm by Yukio Motoya, translated by Asa Yoneda. So it's a Japanese book and it's uh, 11 short stories, I believe. So it's, uh, and I'm about two thirds of the way through at the moment. So it's interesting. <laughs> let's, let's put it that way. It's an interesting book. So that's what you can look forward to next week. Uh, and then coming up after that, maybe some Mark Twain. I'm, I'm not too sure at the moment. Um, need to see how much time I've got because uh, I will be heading to Brazil in probably about two months time. So um, uh, a, a fair bit's going to change on the channel <laughs> when I go there. So that'll, that'll be uh, interesting and exciting as well. So that's it for today. Thank you everyone for joining me. I hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are in the world. Thank you, Johnny, for saying nice review. You're awesome. You're awesome for joining me as well. Much appreciated, my friend. And we're going to leave it there. Ciao for now. Karen out. Bye.